This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. And with me today, Hans. Hans, how are you doing? You're glistening. You look like a glazed donut. I just showered, too. Uh, Maybe but that's I, I shaved. I shaved my head and I just sprayed alcohol on it because I'm stupid and it really hurts. <laughs> so uh, that's 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 what I got going on right now. Uh, pain on my head. Do you typically spray alcohol on your on your yeah. dome? Yeah, I like the pain. I like to feel like I'm being punished. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cute. I like that. Hey, we've got a first timer here on the show. We've got Jacob Everett, perhaps uh, uh, known by many people on Twitter. As Blauergeist, uh, he is the. Hey, what's up, guys? You're you're the editor in chief of Apocalypse Confidential. That's right. The premier psyop sleaze rag and uh, whatever side of Twitter we find ourselves, uh, literature, poetry, criticism, all that stuff. Terrific. Uh, we're gonna have a link in the description of the episode for anyone who wants to check that out and get some yeah. some reading done. Uh, did I believe? I believe I saw Detective Wolfman was published by you. Is that right? Oh yeah, he's been published by us a couple times. He did a uh, sort of appreciation of like who is it? Some horror author like Robert uh, McCannon or something like that. And then he wrote a very fun sort of uh, East Asia noir story called Hammerhead for Summer of the Shark special in uh, August. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll have to check both of those out. Um, we're going to be talking about something that has nothing to do with East Asia tonight, though. Uh, we're talking about a maligned film that I, I couldn't help myself. I got into it a little bit last week on the show uh, because it was so fresh, but it's still so fresh. People are still trash talking this movie. And I, I mean, I can believe it, but I can't believe it. Um, do you know where it's not fresh? In Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, so Jacob, I mean, you're one of the the defenders of this film that I've seen on Twitter anyway. There's a lot of people who are just dismissing it because I think they're expected to dismiss it. But um, no, uh, yourself, myself, I've seen uh, Jack the Perfume Nationalist. A a, a few people have uh, come to bat for Blonde, which is the film we're going to be talking about tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought it was a great movie. It was very much. Well, it's funny because everybody who's talking trash about it are the same people who like turn around and say, oh, I love Mulholland Drive or I love Inland Empire, you know, all those classic Lynch flicks. But then when a movie that is lynching in the true sense, like you see lynching thrown around on the Internet just to mean just a sort of generic weirdness mm. but like it they don't get at the sort of like haunted quality of lynchian and this movie has that and so like when they finally have a movie that has all those qualities they're dismissive of it and i think it's because they just don't know what to do with it they expect stuff on netflix to be you know at you know, at best or worst, to be reaffirming ideology or identity, or at worst or best, to be just background noise. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that demands attention. Now, on last week's show, I was going on and on about how great this movie was. Uh, Hans, you hadn't seen it yet. I, I'm curious to get your take on that because. I mean, three hours is a pretty tall order for you. That's yeah. no secret. Um, yeah. And I didn't fall asleep once, so that's a compliment. Wow. Uh, I okay. usually... <laughs> I mean, I'm an old man with diabetes that passes out at, at long movies. No. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think you... No, no, no. I, wa- I wanted to get your perspective on this movie because, again, I, you know, I didn't get too in-depth with it because I knew we had this show lined up. But uh, I'm curious to see if you feel that my my praising it overtly and defending it was uh, warranted? Well, I was actually very offended by the depiction of this hero, this trailblazer, this, you know, um, feminist, feminist icon. icon. <laughs> no, I thought it was great. Uh, I uh, really liked the artistry uh, on it. I thought it was a beautifully shot movie that... I guess highlighted what I was expecting. I guess I, I'm I'm not a fan of the person. I don't really know much about her, so I had zero attachment to the type of story that I wanted to see. I just wanted to see something enter- entertaining that looks good and 
that's what this is. So uh, when we recorded the last episode that we went through a couple of reviews that say nothing about the movie and it's more about how they feel about Marilyn. Um, I, I don't care about her at all. <laughs> like, I don't care about her story. I don't care about what, you know, story you want to tell about her. And especially when this is based on a book that might not even, I don't even know if it's true or not. I don't care because... Again, I have zero attachments to her. So I, I just saw it as a movie, which is how you're supposed to watch movies, right? And uh, yeah, I, I thought the visual style was great. I thought the performances was were great, even if uh, her accent kind of sometimes pops up, but it was never distracting enough to take me out of it. And uh, I, I guess I'm a little bit more confused than I was before I watched it because I'm still kind of wondering what kind of movie the people that are upset were expecting when everything that's known about her uh it's that she was kind of a poor <laughs> kind of a whore. <laughs> yeah. you know like and and that's fine and like I, I just don't understand why they wanted like a a hero's journey from her when that's not what her life was right and and what i know about her is kind of what i saw in that movie I'm not really interested on, on hearing, you know, um, how she was nice to this person or how she was, you know, she was very brave or she was whatever. We got the story that this guy wanted to tell. And I thought that, yeah, visually it's beautiful. It's a beautifully shot movie. It's really well acted. I am st I still have the reviews uh, here on, on my other screen. And, yeah, just and... to be clear, by the way, I checked out Rotten Tomatoes. Not that Rotten Tomatoes is like an authentic yeah. measure of anything. Since about 2015 or 2016, I think it has been decidedly unreliable. Uh, yeah. But Blonde currently is lower than both The Munsters and Hocus Pocus 2 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2 is certified fresh. Of course. I haven't Be seen it. Because, maybe it's maybe it's yeah. great. Maybe it's the new Top Gun Maverick of Hocus Pocus films. I don't know. Uh, Jacob, what do you think is really the... Uh, the point, the thing that's getting stuck in people's craws here, as far as blonde goes, because um, it, it's been called. I mean, it, I, I think it is exploitative in that it's using the likeness and character of a living person, but um, that doesn't really. That's so selectively of concern to Twitter. Uh, you know, I made the point of of saying before. You know, if it comes to like allegations of some sort, nobody gives a fuck. They're going to treat that person like they're damned essentially until yeah. you know they have a, 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 a like a very charming court case like Johnny Depp had um, <laughs> otherwise you know it's, it doesn't matter you're, you're basically dead you're annexed from society uh, if someone wants to make a uh, I guess this could be considered a biopic even though it's based on a novel by Joyce Carol Oates um, you know that's not okay so I mean what do you what do you think it is well I do think it people no longer are able to differentiate like depiction of something with endorsement of something and you see that it's kind of a counterpoint to these reviews on twitter which is good but it bears repeated mention like it's not it's exploitative to a degree i mean just because it's likenesses but like it's a depiction of exploitation so naturally it's gonna have ugliness and i think in a way it's like almost it's not even really that exploitative. Like it's actually when I was thinking about it earlier today and it's like surprisingly reverent because it is like this, you know, it's very entertaining. That's well-made, but like it, it's not like a really fun movie to watch. And it mm. doesn't take this sort of like Hollywood romp through, you know, the bedrooms of Hollywood in the 1950s approach, or it doesn't take the kind of like, james elroy style approach of like a kind of lurid tabloid style like sleazoid crawl through hollywood like it has this very sort of like prestige minded elevated sensibility and so i don't know in a way i mean my personal sensibilities are a little more on the sleazoid side so my argument would be that it could almost be even more exploitative than it is being accused of being yeah, I think there would be a direction for that. For for an NC-17 movie that had the reputation of being like very spicy, very erotic, 
very could you believe this happened in the movie? like that all that was all the talk about it before it landed on netflix and then you watch and it's like it's a few nudie pics and then she's getting like pounded out by edward g robinson jr you know it, it's not a lot she get yeah she gives an an off-screen blowjob and then when she's getting pounded out like you said we're focusing on her face so it's not like we're seeing her asshole, you know, it's not, like, it's not like it's anything, you know, it's not like a, she's sucking the balls on the blowjob. You know what I mean? Like I, I, now, they made JFK's they... dick look so tiny too. She didn't even do like that. <laughs> nothing. It was a, it made his penis seem small. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's the, the pride of the Boston movie. there. Milan. He came out of this even dirtier than she did. Yeah. Man, man, uh, and, 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 and I mean, you do feel for her throughout the movie because life just keeps cheating on her. So, I, I again, I'm very confused as to what her fans, if, if that's a thing. I don't, like, I, honestly, I don't think it is her fa I mean, maybe there's a few, right? Maybe there's a few, like, 42-year-old rockabilly goth girls who are upset about this. I don't think so, though. I think it's a bunch of 18, 19 to 35-year-old, predominantly women, who just decided, oh, yeah, Marilyn Monroe, she was an icon. I think I'm mad about that this week. Yeah. I I, I just i am very confused as to what movie they wanted um, because her life was pretty tragic, right? Uh, I, even if it's – and another thing, too, is that, okay, so this is not even based on, like, a autobiography or anything like that. This is based on a book that someone wrote that is fiction, right? So the fact that – they're upset because her real life and the good things she did are not depicted here. It has nothing to do with the filmmaking. It has nothing to do with the, with the what the director is saying. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm again her fans. If that's a thing, what what do they want? Is, is it a like a, a a rosy and and happy movie where she's just winning you know she's very charismatic and she's just smiling and that's how she gets her roles in the yeah. 40s you know <laughs> well you know um jacob were you on letterboxd at all uh, i've crawled around on there but i don't have like a count established on there i mean, it's good for like cataloging and stuff but i i mean the opinions on there i'll give you an example so i wanted to see what is like the average person who gave this a one-star review what is their taste like and uh one was i i specifically clicked on a girl's profile who said that this was an irredeemable movie and um she gave it one star and then i clicked over to her account and she gave king richard four stars mm -hmm. so that is the kind of biopic that they want that is what how they want their female figures to be illustrated in film is like the the williams sisters i guess i didn't see that it, it was honestly it was i mean look it was exactly generic but um will smith was good in it bernthal was good in it but it wasn't memorable it was just kind of like all right we made a movie to give will smith an oscar yeah i mean i feel like a lot of it is just because well one i doubt that a lot of the people who are outraged about it have even seen it let mm. alone seen a marilyn monroe movie and, like, I think a part of it is just because, going back to what I was saying earlier, that it is a movie that requires attention and that it it's not that it offends their sort of ideological or identity sensibilities, but it offends their uh, sensibilities of consumption. Because, like, now, like, especially on Netflix, they're just so used to, like, you know, putting on 12 hours of a TV show and watching it while they're, like, working from home or like moping around on the couch or whatever. So now that there's actually a movie that's three hours long, that has a distinct auteur vision and has, you know, some like risque kind of NC 17 material and, you know, some other stuff like all those sort of pieces together made it sort of, it's like the iceberg that, you know, that the Titanic of sort of fragility hit against or something. Yeah. Go ahead, Hans. It, it also paints like a and and I wonder if that this could be a reason why uh it paints a, a picture of fame that's pretty bleak uh which is I think a little bit more accurate than what you you should get in like a nicer movie I guess because especially for the time 
um, a lot of people have the or try to apply in modern day sensibilities to movies that are based in the past. If you set yourself as what fifties, right, is when when this supposedly happens sixties, the world was entirely different. That's seventy years ago. So trying to apply modern day sensibilities to something that happened so long ago, it's such a dumb uh, exercise that I don't understand why you would expect that a movie that's based in those years would, you know, be sensitive to her or like show her as anything other than what she was in this movie, which was pretty much an object because she was pretty, right? So again, I'm not very familiar with her life story. I don't know how accurate this is or how close it is to the truth. I don't think that should matter because it's not like you watch a Bible movie and you go, well, actually, you know, the ark, you know, it wasn't big enough for all the animals in the world. You know, it's it's a movie. So you just watch. And I don't do know. How did Aronofsky do it? Didn't he do a Noah film with? Yeah, uh, he did <laughs> with Crow. rock monsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, uh, it. it I'm very confused uh, as uh, to the rea reaction that people have had to this because it's not the type of movie that I usually enjoy, uh, especially with that length. But uh, the way that is shot and the way that the movie was done by what's his name, uh, Andrew Dominic. Dom I, I, yeah, I um, I checked out Chopper for the first mm -hmm. time this week. Uh, Jacob, are you familiar at all with Andrew Dominic's previous? He only has like three or four that he directed before this. I haven't seen any of them, but like I know of them. Like I've heard great things about the Jesse James, the long titled one, um, yeah, and Kill him, Killing Him Softly. I've heard great things about. We covered Killing Them Softly on this show uh, earlier this year with Max Thrax, uh, nice. the author of God is a Killer. And uh, that was one that I remember because I was a big George V. Higgins uh, fan. And I had read Kogan's Trade before that movie dropped. And I was so disappointed they moved it to uh, New Orleans because it was like Hurricane Katrina. And I guess that resonated with Andrew Dominic in a particular way. And uh, we, we checked it out uh, on this show a couple of months ago. And uh, Hans, you, you had like a pretty mixed to not impressed reaction with it, I want to say. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I thought the editing and the cinematography of it was, was fun. I thought the pacing was was pretty good, better than I had remembered. And then uh, Chopper, which has gotten like a lot of comparisons to Nicholas Winding Refn's Bronson, um, which I I can see it, but I can't really see it. Uh, I think Bronson's probably like a superior movie, but Eric Bana might be more entertaining yeah. as Chopper. Um, that was that was also s similar enough, uh, kind of whatever as far as like story goes, and uh, just very enjoyable because of the character and uh, performances and everything else. See, but the, the thing that kind of worries me is that uh, when you have a director like this that has a specific vision, you know, someone that has a visual style, I guess, uh, and this is the reaction that his movies get, were they just expecting like a Marvel Marilyn movie where, you know, everything is happy and, and she's a hero and she's very brave? Uh, because, again, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I like... Uh, interesting directors, I guess. And uh, that's what drew me into this movie and what kept me entertained. Uh, the visual style. I I don't think the dialogue is that great. I don't think the, the, the writing is, is that great, but I thought the performance was really good and I thought the the visual style of it was very appealing. The, the, the you know, four by three thing and then black and white and then color and just how everything was shot all the camera movements and everything but i'm kind of worried that okay so I, I don't know what the budget on this was but it's obviously a big uh uh at least property because of her name and her persona right so giving this to someone that has that this artistic vision and getting this reaction i'm worried that in the future what we're going to end up getting from movies like this is just you know from being afraid of, of having a negative reaction, we're just going to get whatever uh, King Richard type movie, you know, like you said, instead of something that obviously has a vision, has uh, a director that obviously cares about what's being put on screen instead of someone that's just sitting behind a monitor just going like, yeah, that's fine, you know? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's going to affect it one way or the other because I guess Blonde was 
the most watched thing on Netflix or the most watched mm -hmm. movie on Netflix this week. So even if there's um, controversy around that, I don't know if it's really going to matter so long as the numbers are are good. Hmm. I don't know, uh, Jacob. What do you, I mean? What do, what is your sense on films like this going forward? Do you think like Blonde is uh, you know a dying gasp for for the film industry, or do you think that this is really opening a, a new window to produce more films that are going to be like this? Um, I'm a, I'm on sort of the optimistic side of things. I think the past couple years of movies, you know, other than you know stuff like serviceable stuff like king richard you know like that'll be that'll be the one that we uh choose as the uh the straw man or whatever for this conversation um <laughs> the punching bag yeah yeah the punching bag there we go um well, isn't will smith is doing an emancipation movie where he plays a slave or something that's, yeah. that's yeah. great good for him well they, they might i mean they're gonna put that out because they spent a lot of money on it but for although they, they're releasing it around award season is uh i mean i guess they wanted to do back-to-back -back oscars for will smith and now i don't know if that's well, possible didn't he kicked out of the academy they threatened it i don't know if that's uh -oh. the case though interesting yeah so i think it's i think it bodes well because i feel like at least in terms of genre film uh things have been good lately like malignant was fun um, I loved X and Pearl, and I've heard great things about Barbarian and some other ones. And I would actually sort of cluster Blonde in more as like a kind of horror film, kind of like it's like a epic Hollywood biopic. No, it's a horror film disguised as like a biopic kind of thing. And so I do think things are sort of an on an uptick again. Um, it ju it's just a matter of. There are obviously the filmmakers who are out there who are doing daring and interesting things. It's really just a matter of getting the audiences on board. Yeah, I, I as far as like movies go, I think 2022 has been a big rebound for the idea of uh, visual artistic um, vision, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I've seen that in more films this year than... Uh, maybe the last several uh, and blonde, I think is a good example for that. It's also been a big year for uh, f like formerly irrelevant mid 20th century pop icons between this yeah. Marilyn Monroe biopic. And then um, Elvis, Elvis coming out and Elvis to me is like the bizarro or rather this is the bizarro version of Elvis where it does a lot. It uses a lot of the same components and plays with um, the visual style and just the language of the, of the film in a particular manner that you would not expect for that uh, person's biopic and uh, makes them relevant when they haven't really been part of the young person's conversation as far as culture goes. Uh, it may be about, honestly, like probably like 20 years. Um, and I would, yeah. What do you think this is going to do for Marilyn's <laughs> career? Do you think her songs are going to start? Like. I think we're going to see Anthony Cisco <laughs> dressed up like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Because that's the thing with Elvis, you know, uh, I believe that after the movie came out, like the iTunes charts or whatever, or like sales sure. for, for Elvis went up. But yeah, after something like this, uh, and again, what, what does she ha have to offer in her body of work that would be worth watching i get uh, i'm sure she was a, a much deeper person that was portrayed on screen on, on every movie that she's in but at the end of the day everything she acted in was she was kind of just like a bimbo right kind of like a ditzy you know very pretty but dumb uh character i guess on everything so again i'm confused <laughs> i'm very confused as to uh, the reaction of this because it's it's like, what story were you expecting from, from a Marilyn Manson biopic, you know? Yeah, Marilyn Manson. That's... Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Manson. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Jacob, are, are you familiar with uh, Marilyn Monroe's work at all? Because, I, I, like Hans, I have not seen a single film of hers. I've seen uh, Some Like It Hot, which is great. 
I think that's Billy Wilder. Um, and which, of course, I don't know if how much of that is dependent on her or if it's dependent on, like, you know, the rest of the movie around her. But that's, like, a great movie that she's in. And I think I saw The Misfits, which was, like, one of her last movies directed by John Huston. And I don't really remember much about that one, so I guess it wasn't really that memorable. Was she like good in either of those films? Is she? A, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what her level of acting was. I, I've only seen clips uh, from her filmography. Yeah, she was good. I think she. I mean, she's definitely charming. Um, and I think she sort of a part of it was kind of she was able to play the roles that she was given. And I mean, and you see this in uh, Blonde. I mean, of course, this movie is not a straight ahead biopic. It gets based on a novel, but like mm -hmm. you do see moments where she has like true acting potential. Like when like during the audition, when the guy is like, sounds more like a mental patient than an actress. Mm -hmm. And then, of right. course, you know, it sort of presages the whole uh, method acting. And then I had heard that, like, Lee Strasberg uh, had said that the two best uh, students he had at the Actors Studio were Mar uh, Marlon Brando and Marilyn Monroe. And so I think she did have, it's not so much as, like, a sort of acting intelligence, but an acting instinct where she was able to, like, sort of mine all the sort of dark stuff that she went through. And it was just sort of, you know, depending on what role she had, you were able to crack that and utilize it. But most of the time, the roles she got didn't take advantage of that. Which now, is interesting because it, it's interesting to imagine, like, you know, she died in 62, you know, at like, what, 35, 36? Mm -hmm. So she would have been in her, like, 40s, 50s during, like, the new Hollywood movement, like only like 10 years later. So it would have been interesting to see what a director like Scorsese or Bogdanovich or someone like that would have done with her acting. You don't think she would have wound up on like Hollywood squares or celebrity pyramid or what? I mean, yeah, maybe in a few, uh, Dean Martin roasts. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> it could have been great. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, you compared this movie to Inland Empire and uh, Mulholland Drive. And it definitely has those like Lynchian components. Like the, the end, especially where uh, Dominic is shooting her, uh, passing away in her bed, you know, that, the, the, whatever song he has there, it, it almost feels like the temp track was verbatim the Twin Peaks theme song. 100%, yeah. Uh, it, it's so close sounding to it. Um, you know, do, do you, I mean, how, how much do you think that this is, this is like Twin Peaks and like David Lynch as far as, um, I guess, just modern films go? Because I haven't, I mean, you see a lot of people aspire to that. Refn is a guy who uh, has tried to make his version of like a David Lynch film a couple of times with Fear X and with um, Too Old to Die Young, uh, the Amazon series he did. And then, you know, something like this, I feel like really is a bullseye for the, especially that era of David Lynch. Yeah, absolutely. It has like this kind of like early 2000s, like digital graininess to it. Like not in, act in actual fact, but like it sort of just like, it has that tonality to it. And when I think of David Lynch, I think of like the shots in Lost Highway. So throwing in another one for the reference pile. That's like all those shots of like the empty house during night and stuff. And it almost presages par paranormal activity in that way. But like, it's sort of, I don't know. It's, you know, people like to throw out the word liminal space on the internet a lot, but I do think there is a kind of liminality, especially in that final scene where she's like bedridden and like, you're kind of not sure what's going on and it's just like a kaleidoscope of her just like moving around the house um yeah i felt like that was very reminiscent of uh lost highway and mm. uh 
Inland Empire especially. Yeah, I, I wanted to get into the kind of muddled, confused perspective and narrative that seems to become heavier as we get into like the second half of the movie where you're unsure, like what's reality? What is she actually experiencing? Uh, is she actually getting a forced abortion right now? Like what's, what's, what's happening with this? Uh, Hans, I mean, what, what was your general sentiment toward that? What, the abortions? Well, yeah, I did the new the, rank the abortions in the film. The three D, three D baby in her womb as she cried. Uh, I mean, Man, it's, they no. really, they really did not like that. Planned Parenthood yeah. issued a statement and everything. I guess earlier this week. Ooh. Well, no, you might you're making abortions seem like a painful experience for women. That's how how dare you? It's supposed to be. I wasn't brave thinking. I was thinking. Damn, even cool women get abortions. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was forced to get this so that she wouldn't kill her career. Uh, but uh, I um I think uh, I I I just I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the abortion. No, um. Because it, it's just a it's just just a bleak picture of what that life really is like, you know. Uh, no one's interested in you if you're pregnant in the fifties and you're this beautiful icon, right? So, of course, if you get pregnant and you still want to continue getting roles, like you're not, that's not gonna work, especially with the time, right? So, the fact that that happened in the movie again, I don't know if this if. I read a couple of things that said, oh, she wasn't forced. She was actually, you know, her womb was rotten or something in you know, different words. So, uh, oh, her womb was shitty. It's not verbatim. Uh, yeah, it's not verbatim. Uh, her, her womb was shitty. And uh, I, uh, I didn't mind it. Again, I have zero connection to her. So the fact that they just, you know, painted her as a victim of pretty much everyone in her life, uh, even though she's like this fragile sweet person it didn't bother me i thought it it actually um made it better the fact that it was so unrelenting and so you know not pulling punches on anything and this is the the world that she lives in and she either adjusts or she can go back to you know whatever she was doing before this uh it added a, a little a little extra uh dimension to her character because she was willing to go through all of that just so that she would, could, I guess, try to find happiness in the one thing she thought she was good at. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, again, it's probably because her abortion wasn't presented as like a like a Girl Scout badge. You know, it was presented as a horrible thing that she went through. It was really painful, very traumatic to her. But I think that added to the story instead of taking away from it. And yeah her being a victim of of the circumstances and the time that she was living in was the interesting part of the movie you know so i i i'm for it <laughs> i'm i'm for all those i guess safe 1955 abortions for whatever reason they were very very safe you know 70 years ago uh but yeah I, I yeah I thought that it, it, it added an extra dimension to her character, and I I, I enjoyed the abortions. <laughs> uh, Jacob, this isn't really related, but it's kind of related. Uh, I know from uh, Brendan's podcast, Tales from the Mall, I listened to your episode, uh, you're an Elroy fan. Uh, oh, yeah. Have you seen the Black Dahlia, uh, Brian De Palma adaptation? I have, yeah. Uh, what I, I that's one I've been meaning to get around to because I enjoy Elroy, but I love Brian De Palma, and I know that later Brian De Palma is a total disappointment. We covered Hans. Did we do a retrospective on Brian De Palma's films? Oof. I, I feel know. like I we, we might have did. in twenty twenty. I think we did maybe a couple of them. I don't think I I saw all of them, uh, but I, I you know my memory. I can't remember what I did yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got to, uh, what was it, like Mission to Mars or Red Planet or one of these horrible, like, early 2000s Mars films he directed. And it was embarrassing. That was terrible. I remember yeah. seeing that one in theaters. In theaters. Oh, God. Yeah, it was, it was like nine memory. or something. Yeah, yeah it, it was uh, shockingly bad. Uh, it, yeah, it started like Gary Sinise. I think Jerry O'Connell might have been in it. And, um, yeah, so I, I've known to stay away from anything Brian De Palma might have directed after 2000, except I did check out Domino, 
his like movie from 2017 or 2018 with the Game of Thrones guy. Also horrible, absolutely bad. Um, is Black Dahlia my my worst assumption of it, or is there anything of value to that? Uh, there's some good parts of it. It's definitely more. It's disappointing because De Palma directing uh, Black Dahlia is like that's like a perfect director for it, but it's like the wrong era for that director. Like if it had been like 1980s, like body double and like dress to kill blowout era, like that would have been perfect. Cause it has that sort of like sweaty sleazy vibe. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a lesser work and a lesser Elroy adaptation. It has, it's also, it doesn't, win itself any favors because it takes out a lot of stuff from the book so as like a Elroy purist that's a bit disappointing but so did the uh, LA Confidential movie and that's a great movie Um, I don't know I mean if you have a free evening or afternoon or something and you really have nothing to watch I would check it out Um, it's a solid maybe C plus (laughs) That's not that terrible then, because uh, I I would I would say Mission to Mars if that was the one, and uh, Domino were I will never watch those films again. Uh, what what do you think is Elroy's best adaptation? Well, my favorite would be uh, Cop. Oh, Cop! Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. James Woods an, movie. Yeah, an adaptation of forget the title now, but it's one of his Lloyd Hopkins books which was a then contemporaneous. So it was written in the eighties and set in the eighties, like kind of genius cop, kind of more traditional kind of murder mystery story. Mm. And yeah, it's James Woods as like this completely like neurotic freak show of a police officer. And um, yeah, it has some very fun moments. LA confidential is good. But it's a lot more in like the tradition of like those like '90s historical romances, like Legends of the Fall or uh, English Patient or something, than like an actual sort of Elroy movie. Yeah, I um I had watched L.A. Confidential I think at the beginning of this year, and uh, I haven't read the source material, um, but I remember watching it, feeling like this feels like a very commercialized kind of uh like sweeter version of james elroy this doesn't really feel like james elroy uh cop my favorite thing about cop is the ending because james woods has a very like witty clever cool guy action 80s cool guy line and then like shoots the guy with a shotgun and then it cut to black and roll credits i feel like i've mentioned the movie that stops instead of ends you know Mm, that's perfect um Cop was when I, I, I was in a total James Woods uh, rabbit hole for a while, and I was just checking out a lot of his more obscure films like Cop or Bestseller. Um, you know, he's got some very interesting roles in the late 80s or mid 80s uh, going into the early 90s that are worth checking out, and Cop is uh, how I discovered that. I don't even think I was aware that that was an Elroy adaptation. Isn't... isn't um. Not end of watch. Uh, fuck. I think it was another David Ayer film. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, uh, Dark Blue. Squad. Oh. No, uh, I, I think I'm thinking of the movie Dark Blue with Kurt Russell. Yeah, Wasn't that's that... one. Yeah. That, that was by, I don't know if it was, it's either story by or screenplay by or both uh, written by Elroy. I thought mm-hmm. you were going to say Street Kings, which that one fucking sucked. But yeah, Dark <laughs> Blue is great. Uh, no, I haven't seen Street Kings. Uh, but, uh, I will I will have to avoid that, I guess. Um, just to get back to Blonde, though. I mean, Hans, I, you have seen almost as many movies this year as I have. Uh, where do you think this one is going to land when it comes to award season? For me or, or how it's going to be perceived by... What would Hollywood win the Hans person? Award? That's really what I'm curious. Yeah, no, uh, both. Because, I, I mean, it, it's tricky here in that, you know, it, it's not too common for the Academy to uh, maybe highlight a film that's been not 
critically well received. But this has, I think, like all the makings of Best Picture nominee, Best Actress nominee, if not winner, uh, at least on the surface. But I don't know with like the controversy around it if it's going to have that sort of momentum. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of what kind of integrity they want to have uh, going into that. Uh, uh, when it comes to personal taste, uh, it's definitely up there. Uh, top five, definitely, from what I've seen. Uh, I uh, Again, I have very bad memories, so I'm just going through the movies that I've seen from this year. And uh, there's not really much that I've been a, a huge fan of. Uh, not that I'm a huge fan of this and I'm going to you know, con- rewatch it or whatever, but I think... Uh, it has enough elements where it should be considered for some of those awards, I guess, if you, if you care about that type of thing. Um, but Hollywood loves movie about Hollywood, right? Uh, I'm kind of worried that the portrayal of Hollywood not being a hero or not being a, uh, what's the Ben Affleck movie with the plane? Argo. And we're not an Argo movie where it's like, oh, well, Hollywood is a hero here and it's because of us that everyone saved uh, that it's not going to get that type of attention, uh, and also because you know the the reaction that that audiences have had has been kind of negative or mostly negative. Uh, but it should, I think, she, she was really good. I, I don't think any of the the performers were bad or or looked like they were, uh, uh, you know, just not caring. Uh, that's that's one of the things that that the director did a really uh, great job at. Is he got he got great performances. Uh, from everyone pretty much so it should be up there I think it should be nominated especially because this year how many I mean I guess we're not in Oscar bait season yet but uh, I I can't think of of another female actress that gave a better performance than what she did here Uh, so at least that and the director should definitely get get some accolades uh, with the the director that he did this movie and I think that um, Jesse James movie did get some Oscar uh, nominations, didn't it? I don't know. Uh, maybe was Casey Affleck in that movie? I feel like maybe he might yeah. have been nominated for that as like a warm up to winning for Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I I don't know. I actually haven't seen that one. I've heard nothing but good things. I've heard people say that was like the last great western or what have you. I don't know. We're in a bit of a western well, boom at the moment. Deacons was the cinematographer, and he was nominated for that. And uh, yeah, Casey Affleck was best supporting role. Uh, Brad Pitt is the the other main character there. Uh, so the the track record is there, I guess. Uh, so maybe that's what would you know push it to get some of that attention. But I is is that still not sure? It I, matters. I, I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that's my 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 personal opinion on those award shows is that it's it's never really been about quality. You know, it's it's usually the ones selected is because they're they're saying something in some way or, you know, the climate of the current pop culture climate says that this should be the movie that wins. Uh, so, I don't know. I I feel like award shows are kind of at least to me irrelevant because it's not it's not really a show of uh quality and it's more like what's what's happening this year and which is the one that we have to elevate even if it's boring like um what's the the raping priests movie raping that one yeah the the one that's that's probably not a great way of describing it uh no uh, no the uh, movie about the boston priests that that one yeah that piece of shit that's that's when i started like thinking okay so how can you pick this boring ugly piece of shit movie to win uh the the best picture uh and uh yeah that's when i started feeling that maybe those award shows don't really matter and and whatever they get i mean good for andrew dominic if he gets anything because that'll get him more work but at the end of the day those things are are pretty irrelevant at least they should hire him to do the gray man too that's what i think andrew dominic God, that was so. Did you end up watching that? Yeah, we yeah we talked about it on the show. I think. We? Not uh, not as like a theme or anything. I don't know, Jacob. I, hey, what are what are some like new newer movies that you've been impressed enough by or enjoyed in like we'll say twenty twenty two? I really loved uh, X and Pearl. Those would mm-hmm. be the big ones. 
Um, and in fact, I am working on an essay about it for Apocalypse Confidential. Big surprise there. Um, I really enjoyed those ones, especially Pearl, because I loved like the sort of like, it was basically like a kind of Douglas Sirk melodrama with like sort of psycho bitty technicolor gothic stuff going on. Um, other than that, uh, well, are, are you uh, a fan of Ty West in general? Because uh, I really love his uh, earlier films, like The Innkeepers and um, House of the Devil. Everyone the devil. says House of the Devil, yeah. But he's, uh, he's a filmmaker I've been following for, for quite a while and uh, is mostly consistent. He also had a great Western in A Valley of Violence with John Travolta and James Ransone and Ethan Hawke. I haven't seen that one. I've seen the other ones of his I've seen are... House of the Devil, which is great, and uh, The Sacrament, which was fun, too, which was, like, mm-hmm. basically Jonestown, but, like, found footage. It was mm-hmm. during that whole phase in horror. Yeah, I, I remember really enjoying that when it came out, and then I recommended it to a, a friend of mine who used to be a reporter for Vice, and uh, he was like, this is one star, this is shit, fuck this movie. I was like, oh, God, all right, well, I won't recommend a movie to you again. Um, How can you trust him? He's never died from drinking Kool Aid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trust his opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like um, horror, especially this year, has been uh, taking in a way that I I don't know if it has in the past. At least critically speaking, I feel like a lot of horror movies have gotten very generous reviews and ratings from critics, uh, whereas that's not normally the case. Like people are glowing about that Smile movie. That just came out. Smile won the bo- beat Bros, you know, which has oh. been a box office disaster. Hans, I know you were really looking forward to that one. Um, oh yeah, that and uh, Barbarian, which we might be covering on this show. That was directed by um, one of the guys from Whitest Kids, you know. Um, and I've heard Sick. mostly positive things, but also very like polar opposite things about it. Like it, it doesn't take itself seriously in the third act, or the third act put some people off, or I don't know. I have no idea what that movie's even about. Maybe it's like Tusk, for all I know. But Yeah, I well, not. what I, I like about these ones is that, and I haven't seen Smile or Barbarian either, but like just the vibe I'm getting from them, and it's cool that they're getting positive feedback because they're kind of moving away from like the overly serious kind of art house A24 horror style. And they're going back to kind of more schlocky to roots, but they're still retaining that kind of it factor that makes people actually respect them, which I think is cool. Uh, yeah, it, it seemed like for a while anyway, uh, when it came to a horror movie, everybody was trying to make some variation of like The Witch just anything or Hereditary, um, anything that Ari Aster or Robert Eggers have previously done and that you know i'm not saying that those are bad movies but uh the the palette for those is pretty limited for me anyway yeah, they're fine very, like, kind of muted browns and stuff like that yeah they're fine until you expect something from them i guess because then you just you already know what you're gonna get uh and yeah that does, uh... like to me the worst example of that sort of wave was uh and it almost seemed like a parody was it comes at night, which was like, it was like some like home invasion during a plague thing. And it was like, never clear what exactly was going on and not in the sort of like interesting, like mystery way, but like in the kind of like JJ Abrams, like mystery box kind of way with that kind of dour a 24 style. That one is probably like, the nadir of that particular aesthetic. Yeah, I have not seen that uh, specifically because a friend of mine saw it and I I saw uh, many of the trailers to that when it came out and it was clearly marketed as like a horror film. And then uh, he said, yeah, no, it wasn't really a horror movie at all. As a matter of fact, it was like a very uh, off-putting, manipulative film cam- uh, marketing campaign because it it wasn't what it didn't deliver what it set out to show yeah, the definitely. audience 
It's a lot of, did you hear that? Isn't that scary how you heard that type of movie? Yeah, just like a, a lot of slow zooms on like a door with some scratching noises and like a dissonant violin music or something. That's my favorite genre. I love violin. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't know if I've seen too many horror films this year uh, that have really um, matched the the critical sensibilities of it anyway. I think I've probably been mostly disappointed by that genre. Um, I didn't have as glowing of a review of X because I thought, yeah. all right, well, you know, I, 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 I remember what Ty West was early in the last decade, and he was kind of an outlier, even though, you know, the whole 80s aesthetic now is so oversaturated and played out. Nobody was really doing that in the same way that he was anyway uh, in like 2012 or 2011. And so I think after getting, uh, you know, the sacrament and then in a valley of violence, I was ready for him to like venture out and do something a little bit different and delving into like 1970s Texas chainsaw ish um, territory felt like a step back for me. Um, so it, it didn't really um, wet my appetite, um, but uh, I'm still I'm still on Team Ty West. I will probably see Maxine when it comes out. I can't believe he did three movies with A24 in the span of a fucking year. That's, yeah, that's wild. That's a lot. Yeah, I, um, I yep. definitely preferred Pearl more just because, like, it is so removed from current times. Like, it's set in 1918, and, like, I'm sort of fascinated by, like, silent film era Hollywood weirdness. So that like was like tickling all the boxes for me. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I think that I enjoyed X, but the problem was it was like the things that were referencing were so like immediately available. Like it's sort of like, all right, I can just kind of watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, probably the best um, horror, horror Jason movie that I've watched this year has been a movie called Watcher. Um, which we talked about a little bit on the last show. That stars Maka Monroe, who's kind of like a... I, I don't know, she's like a go-to actress for the horror genre between yeah. this movie and she was in It Follows. And I think she might have yeah. been in... No, she wasn't in Under the Silver Lake. That director just disappeared after that movie. That got him, uh, I think, in trouble. Yeah, blackballed, yeah. Yeah, with A24, uh, holding that movie for several years before it finally came out. It's a shame. I thought that was a fun movie. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's probably top of the heap for me as far as like that genre goes. Um, and I didn't find myself, um, impressed with the crimes of the future pseudo remake. Um, did you check that out at all by any chance, Jacob? I have not. I've heard very mixed things. I've heard either people love it or people hate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of that. I probably even, you know, the the original one is just like an amateur student film, but I probably felt more watching that than I did seeing this in the theater. At, at least uncomfortable. You know, it's a little bit more real. Yeah, that ending is <laughs> fucking horrible. It's disgusting. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Father Stew, I don't know if that could be considered a horror movie. But Mark Wahlberg <laughs> was terrifying in that fat suit at the end. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's It's been... Uh, all over the place as far as like, but there's been a whole lot of horror movies to come out this year. Um, Black Phone was was kind of a, an enjoyable, yeah, I know you didn't like it, Hans, but I've heard I good. Know. I haven't seen it either, but I've heard good things. Uh, how about in terms of like movies outside of 2022, have you checked out anything uh, recently that's really caught your attention or, or stayed in your head? Um, let's see. Yeah, uh, just sticking in the horror genre, you could. I mostly just sort of watch uh, horror movies these days. Um, uh, it's this one from I forget. It's like 1979 and 1980, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, hmm. and it's about this kid who he's like about to turn 18, and like years ago his uh, parents were killed in a car crash with him in it. And so he goes to live with his aunt. And so like, since he was like four to 18, he's been raised by her. And like, there's like some weird kind of like 
vaguely incest vibes like she clearly has the hots for her nephew and uh and then uh there's like some murders that happen and then yeah it, and then there's become some implication that like the gym teacher is gay and so you have this one cop who is convinced that it's a result of like a love triangle between the gym teacher the tv repairman and the in the main kid and it yeah it's just one of the weirdest movies i've ever seen and i loved every second of it i mean isn't the gym teacher always gay yeah pretty <laughs> much i mean that's gonna be a given uh yeah i've been watching a lot of horror too just because it's that that time of year uh you know what i watched recently is the silent hill adaptation from 2006 oh, that yeah. roger avery wrote <laughs> um man that was a really uh confusing movie I think it was just went over my head. I, I I don't know. It just felt like I was watching a video game, especially since like, uh, you know, the special effects have been dated uh, since 2006. It just looks like a PlayStation game, which I guess kind of fits it. Um, Jacob, yeah, do you have like back a to, back to tradition? And that exactly. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite era as far as horror goes? Yeah, pretty much uh, 70s and 80s. Yeah, I. Um... I, I would say uh, the cream of the crop can probably be found in that time period. That sounds like a very. Uh, do you watch uh, the Last Drive-In by any chance? The Joe Bob Briggs. Oh show? yeah, huge Joe Bob fan. That sounds like a movie. Uh, what you were just talking about that would turn up on there. I've discovered a quite a number of like obscure late seventies horror films just watching that program. Like uh, one we covered for this show. It's not really a horror, um, but it's very very solid thriller. Is um, the little girl down the lane with Jodie Foster and um, Martin Sheen. That was uh, that was an enjoyable pick. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of like a better version of Shut In, that Vincent Gallo movie that came out this year through Daily Wire. It's kind of unfair to call it a Vincent Gallo. Movie. I know that that's that was misinterpreted. <laughs> yeah, well, a Ben Shapiro movie. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a little better. Uh, uh, I also watched. I, I, um, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just very curious about this Butcher, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker movie because it was directed by the director of Bewitched and I and uh, I Dream of Genie. No, the sorry, TV I Love Lucy. Are... Yeah, yeah, oh, the TV oh, shows. Yeah, uh, and he also did uh, a couple of episodes of Sally, the thin, the tin, what well, Thin Man? I don't even know what this is, but it's all just a lot of uh, 50s and 60s safe. TV shows, I guess. So something like what uh, Jacob was describing sounds very interesting, especially coming from someone that mostly did, you know, 60s uh, television. Yeah, it's a very w interesting one. And like the kid in it, like it's something like Brian McNichol, Steve McNichol or something like that. Mike McNichol, maybe he was like a big like he was in like Battle of the Network stars back in the day. So, like, he was, like, a he wasn't even really in anything. He just, like, appeared on that show and on, like, the different, like, talk shows. And he so he was, like, a huge celebrity. And so him being in this, it's sort of, like, the then period uh, equivalent of, like, when, like, I don't know, like, Zac Efron is in, like, the Paperboy or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, take a look at this movie as well. Maybe we'll cover it for like a future episode. We're trying to do nothing but like horror. I mean, we arguably we failed already uh, <laughs> horror movies for October, but I think blonde could pass as a horror movie to, uh, to a lot of what you were saying earlier, Jacob. Uh, there's definitely spooky vibes in this movie. Yeah. She gets, well, a, couple, yeah. gets a couple of, uh, punches to the kidneys by her but what joe dimaggio right he slapped her around a couple of times That's yeah horrific. he knocked her around he was a great guy except for those beatings yeah when he found those pictures of these. yeah yeah boy charlie chaplin jr what an asshole huh what a jerk he was he do you think he was her one true love <laughs> well it was weird because that whole you know, it was very, that's where she really was a trailblazer because that was arguably the first thruple or polycule or something. Um, I guess was, I was very confused by their 
report because they're very like handsy, but they don't like do anything with each other. I I don't know. Very uh, warm and welcoming pair of fellas. Yeah, yeah, that was. See, that was where it was most like an Elroy book to me, because like I could easily imagine, you know, some alliterative headline talking about like Charlie Chaplin and Edward G. Robinson's sons and some weirdo tryst with uh, Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all they were missing was uh, Buster Keaton Jr. And <laughs> anyway, Elroy Jr. <laughs> yeah, they should bring just... them all in. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, he was pretty dark. What a dark character. I don't know if he was evil, but he was definitely dark. I don't even know if he was like a bad, bad guy, but he was bad enough. Um, just, uh, how, how the movie ends with like the, uh, the stuffed animal and the note that he's been writing her the letters oh, that yeah. she so desperately hoped, uh, had to be her father. Do you take that as, um, as an act of like malice or because he cared about her? Because I could see it either way. Yeah, that was a weird one. Like, it did seem like, like, because, like, why would he start doing it in the first place? I don't know. I feel like it was a bit of a sadistic streak, to be honest. Hmm. I don't, well, you, I'm, I'm it, mixed on it, personally. I feel like, um, I don't know. You know, you have the whole blackmailing aspect that they introduce uh, in the middle of the film, which isn't great. And Edward G. Robinson just seems to be like a lackey. He's just the guy, the sidekick, who's going along with everything. He does all the heavy lifting. He does all the fucking, and Chaplin just watches, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, you, you have that moment uh, at the end, which is, like, is it? All right, so regarding his death, was that suicide? Because the way that uh, Edward G. Robinson explains it over the phone makes it sound like it's accidental. And so we don't know if, like, this was a planned thing where he killed himself and then sent the gift in the mail, or if this was just, like, a dead man switch where if he dies, he wants us to go out to her. And if that's the case, is it done to let her know that he was still thinking about her even after all those years and writing those letters still? Or is it because he was getting back at her one last time as a fuck you because he's just evil? And I, I don't have a clear answer for myself anyway. I think it might be both yeah well and the weird thing is and this is where it's like clear that yeah it's based on a novel it's not a straight up biopic is that the real charlie chaplin jr he died in like 1968 mm -hmm. so he died like six years after marilyn monroe did yeah yeah there, i mean go ahead hans i saw you wanted to speak up uh twice in the middle of that yeah it was the the thing that kind of kept her going, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to find her dad. So I, I took it as just a piece of shit toying with her <laughs> for as long as he could because he had no control over her anymore, right? So the only way to control her was to continue writing these letters and giving her hope that she otherwise wouldn't have had, uh, especially because it's set up early that uh, she finds out that it's all bullshit from her mom, right? But this is the thing that kind of keeps her going. So I didn't see that as like a nice thing. He was he was doing at all. It was more like just playing with this very fragile lady's emotions. I mean, it could be both. I think I think yeah. it could be both. I, I guess those letters did start once he and Edward G. Robinson were out of the picture, mm -hmm. and she had started to see DiMaggio. So yeah, maybe all right. Maybe maybe it is just an act of manipulation where he's trying to pull the strings even if she's out of his grasp but uh i don't know and in that case yeah he's i guess he would be evil damn what's with those chaplains in their relationships with women huh yeah i mean if you're gonna be the son of charlie chaplin you probably got your own complications yeah his mother's probably only like seven years older than him <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was missing the mustache too that's uh should have had that yeah how are we supposed to know he's chaplain if he doesn't have exactly. the chaplain every chaplain has the chaplain <laughs> stash that's even a lot even of women. family yeah 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 <laughs> um all right uh i we get to wrap up the show um in a moment so uh jacob why don't you direct people over to apocalypse confidential one more time and if you want people to check you out on twitter i'll also include a link in the description to that but for anyone listening right now 
Uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can find Apocalypse Confidential at apocalypse-confidential.com. And, um, yeah, mainly just there. And then on Twitter, I'm Blauer underscore Geist, B-L-A-U-E-R underscore G-E-I-S-T. Excellent. And um, as far as like writing submissions go, how, how, how can anyone just submit to that or do you typically solicit? Anyone can. Yeah, we have open submissions and we have uh, regular specials. Like I said before, our last special was Summer of the Shark um, that friend of the show Wolfman had submitted to. And our next special is going to be War and it's going to come out on Veterans Day and uh submissions close for that one on uh the 28th of october terrific uh well i know we've definitely got some listeners who are writers or, or short story writers screenwriters so uh check that out and uh, maybe submit something if you feel you have uh something ready to go all right jacob thank you so much for coming on the show tonight i'd like to do this again at some point maybe talk about um cop or some other elroy adaptation and um yeah this has been Movies for this week. Thank you for listening. Where is the stop button? Jesus Christ, I always get it lost at the last minute when I do full screen. <laughs>